Welcome to Global Perspectives, the International Insolvency Institute's podcast. Welcome back to the International Insolvency Institute's Global Perspectives podcast. I am Evan Zucker, the co-chair of the United States, Canada, and Caribbean Regional Committee, and a member of IIII's delegation to Working Group 5. On today's podcast, I am joined by Kathleen Berg, a IIII NextGen member, and Simon Whiting, the Assistant Director of Policy at the UK's Insolvency Service. As many of you are aware, the Insolvency Service recently published the outcome of its consultation on whether to implement two model laws promulgated by the United Nations Commission on International Trade, the Model Law on Insolvency-Related Judgments and the Model Law on Enterprise Groups. In its report, it indicated that with respect to the Model Law on Enterprise Groups, it intends to legislate to implement the Model Law at its earliest opportunity, making the UK likely to be the first nation to implement the Model Law. I turn it over now to Kat to discuss with Simon the report and its implications. Thank you, Evan, and welcome, Simon. So um, thank you for that great introduction, Evan. Um, and I, I think we can just jump into the discussion. I had a few basic questions. Now, I know our listeners can read this for ourselves in the report, which is online, um, but let's make it easy for them. How long was the consultation open? How many responses were there? Were you generally happy with the feedback that you received in that um, you, you got enough feedback and not, not necessarily um, did you agree with the content, but uh, how did it go? Well, the, the consultation from the 7th of July to the 29th of September last year, which was a 12-week period, and that's pretty standard for a, a EU government consultation of this nature. Uh, we had 10 responses in total, and it doesn't sound like a huge amount, um, but as I'm sure you're well aware, it's a highly technical area, and I'm actually very pleased with that level of response. And a good proportion of the responses were from professional bodies, and we'd encourage them to canvass their members and provide us with their members' views. So a small number of those responses actually represents far, far more people than, than, than that just that 10. Now, I mean, the Insolvency Service, the UK's Insolvency Service policy team, we're, we're very fortunate so with our stakeholders. We were a very engaged and vocal set of stakeholders. We can always rely on them to provide helpful and constructive feedback, and they certainly did that on this occasion. Uh, it's a lot to think about, and as you know um, from the response, that's led to us recommending to the Minister that the government's approach to implementation uh, should take those views into account. Right. So, for example, I, I think the ILA provided a response, which you know would represent a lot of the the people um, behind that organization. So, I I think I think it was a, a pretty um, pretty healthy level of response. Now, well, yes, want... absolutely. The ILA and, and, for example, R three, the uh, the Institute for Solvency Practitioners as well. So they represent a, a very you know a large cross section of the of insolvency professionals. So yes. All right, so let's split up the two model laws because they cover different ground and have different implications. Um, let's first talk about the enterprise groups model law. Now, the government has recommended moving forward with the implementation of the model law and enterprise groups, and that's very exciting. Uh, what are the next steps for implementation and how long do you think that will take? Oh, yes, thank you. Yes, it's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> uh, in the broader sense. I mean, the, it is exciting. And 
the, the you know how long will it take is the million dollar question we we get asked regularly um whenever we engage our stakeholders um there's there's all sorts of things that need to be taken into account of course i mean despite our aim to implement the model law with minimal changes the, the process of implementation is, is far from straightforward uh, statutory instruments and debate in parliament and that means we're subject not only to ministerial priorities as we always would be but also to the parliamentary timetable um, and of course the thing needs to be drafted in the first place and checked and we need to prepare all the supporting material that goes with it so although the the, the best i can offer as always in, in in policy terms is when parliamentary time allows i think it's also fair to say that it would be quite surprising if we could do it before next summer, but you, you never know. Hmm. Well, that's a great timetable. Um, so you mentioned minimal changes, and I want to touch on some of the comments that that were received in um, and the feedback that you that you had. Could could you go into some of the suggestions? Uh, for clarification on, um, for example, restructuring plans and the government's response? Yeah, sure. I mean, the feedback we received generally was positive. And the respondents all thought it would either be useful or they didn't express any objection to implementation. But of course, they did raise a lot of questions um, in a very constructive way, I'd add. Um, for example, about how much uh, the model law would be used, whether would bring benefits that couldn't be achieved through other means and whether it risked undermining the rights of minority or dissenting creditors, which I'm sure you're going to ask me about later. Um, there were also concerns, you know, very legitimate concerns about um, the model law lengthening the statute book without bringing discernible benefits. And that's always something we have to watch out for in, in policy terms. I mean, they were all legitimate concerns that the stakeholders were, were, were raising there. Uh, but government's view is that those, those concerns are largely mitigated and the benefits of implementation um, outweigh those remaining risks. Um, we may be able to deal with enterprise groups in the UK by using uh, established bespoke principles in common law, um, but that might not necessarily be the case in other jurisdictions. And the model law provides a formal framework which will be recognisable and as more jurisdictions adopt it, the more useful and so more used it will become. Uh, and by taking the lead on this, the UK can demonstrate its commitment to national best practice. I think that's really important because, as you say, you know, I mean, this is this is a, a model law that somewhat depends on other jurisdictions adopting adopting similar or the same um, provisions that we can use to communicate cross-border. Um, but, but also the UK taking the first step, I mean, that's important for other jurisdictions that may want to or considering adopting this model law or even pointing to the UK as, um, as being persuasive uh, statutory um, uh, precedent. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I mean, it's, um, um, thank you for letting me talk about that as well. I mean, uh, as one of the reasons I was very, you know, pleased to be invited to talk to you um, was that you had noted that the UK could be the first to adopt these laws. And as you know, government is keen to be seen to be taking a lead in international cooperation. This will send a clear message uh, that where cross-border proceedings can be made more efficient through cooperation, that's what we're going to do. Uh, and we know that other jurisdictions watch us quite closely. So hopefully this will set an example and lead them to follow suit. And that, of course, will bring benefits not just to the international partners, but also to our UK stakeholders and our excellent legal and insolvency professionals. 
So what are the minimal changes and what suggestions are we leaving out, Simon? Well, we'd like to keep to the original text of the model law as much as we can uh, in the interest of setting the best example internationally. Uh, if you're going to have law which is similar across jurisdictions, the optimum would be to have it as close to model text as possible. Uh, but the nature of model laws, of course, is that they, they can be adapted to take account of public policy, local laws and interests. Uh, so we will need to make a few changes of modifying it to fit in with and not undermine existing law. You can read about those in the original consultation document, for example, uh, will clarify that the group representative should be an insolvency practitioner. Uh, in the ideal world, we'd like to see the model with no changes, but we have to recognise that it will need to be modified to fit in with what we already have. Uh, so that's what we mean by minimal changes. Uh, one thing, though, on the subject of creditors' rights, um, in the interest of certainty, it is intended that there will be uh, clarification Article 20 of the Model Law, which sets out what relief is available, does not extend to recognition of judgments. Does not, I'm sorry, does not extend to what, Simon? Recognition of foreign judgments. Oh, important. That's an important one. <laughs> yeah. um, yes, it is. <laughs> and um, so why not include restructuring plans in the list of proceedings? Um, are there judgments pending on whether restructuring plans are insolvency proceedings? And does the government not wish to weigh in on this? Well, yeah, I mean, as you've identified, some stakeholders did raise the issue of part 26 restructuring plans not including this proceedings. Um, of course, insolvency isn't a prerequisite of a restructuring plan because the legislation in the UK is in the Companies Act, not the Insolvency Act. Uh, but ultimately, proceedings are matter for court decide specific cases and we wouldn't wish to put the court to a particular course of action. Um, if a restructuring plan uh, met the definition of insolvency proceeding the model law as drafted by UNSITRA, then the model law will apply and we don't intend to expand the list to specify them. Uh, in terms of pending judgments, I, I'm personally aware of any. Uh, I do recall the High Court decided a couple of years ago in the Gate Group case that a restructuring plan is considered an insolvency proceeding for the purposes of the Ghana Convention, and so fell in bankruptcy exclusion there. Right, I, re I remember that judgment. And um, yeah. some commenters were concerned about the lack of choice of law rules. Now, why is this not an issue with the model on enterprise groups? Yeah, this is something else that was mentioned by respondents to consultation uh, in the context of both this model law and in the context of the judgments model law. Um, and one of the comments are really we see the model law providing a set of tools uh, which an enforceable agreement can be reached, uh, members of a group, in order to resolve insolvency to their mutual benefit. Uh, so unless a group member or insolvency petitioner agrees to the group, group insolvency solution, their judgment is what process to follow wouldn't be overridden. The relief available, uh, but it's not intended any powers would be extended to group members or the court. And permanently, it wouldn't change what can already be done in new law, uh, which can include achieving what is being permitted in, in, in other ways. So, um, one of the one of the suggestions, I think, or the questions was whether the enterprise groups model law would encompass recognition of judgments. So, does it? Or will uh, no, it, it doesn't. No, 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 it doesn't. Um, it is intended that there'll be clarification that Article 20 won't encompass recognition of uh, foreign judgments. 
Okay, so let's switch to the model law that actually does cover that, the model law on um, enforcement of insolvency-related judgments. And um, the government has taken the decision not to implement that model law or the alternative Article X at this time. Can you go into some of the concerns that were raised through the consultation? Yeah, I mean, of, of course, we've, we've, we've so far avoided talking about the elephant in the room, haven't we? So maybe mm -hmm. it's time to discuss the rule in Gibbs. Um, I mean, that rule is it's 100 years old now, but it's very clear it remains institutions and others in maintaining certainty in contract law. Uh, I mean, we knew that before we published the consultation and we acknowledged it. Um, but the proposal that we set out to implement art, Article X, um, which would have introduced the concept of recognition of insolvency-related judgments while minimising the impact on the existing legal framework by providing guidance to courts, we, we thought that wouldn't we wouldn't that wouldn't override Gibbs. We had the feeling from stakeholders and respondents to the consultation um, has led us to, to to draw back a little bit. You know, um, we we recognise there are some concerns out there. Um, so we've said that we will delay implementing it until we can be satisfied that it isn't going to cause the uncertainty that a response to the consultation fear that it might. Right. So, you know, it seemed like the big concern was, you know, not overruling Gibbs and yeah. being very clear that uh, Article X was not intended to overrule Gibbs and giving the proper feedback to the courts, but then the very real concern that was raised by some of the um, some some of the responses to the consultation that said, well, you know, even if your best intention is is set to not overall Gibbs, it still may might do that. Um, so um, When I read the consultation, it, it looked as though the government has, though, at least decided that they will, if they do implement the model law on insolvency-related judgments, they will implement only Article X and not the full model law. Am I am I right in reading that correctly? Yeah, I mean that, that's that's certainly the plan. I mean we've we've already got the cross-border insolvency regulations. Um, they adopt the original model law on, on proceedings, recognition of proceedings. So Article X does seem to be the right way forward, rather than having the model law as a as a standalone um, set of regulations and government policy that it should be implemented. Um, the cross-border model law doesn't specify the extent to which insolvency-related judgments can be recognised and enforced, and that's that's largely been left to the uh, discretion of the implementing jurisdiction. Uh, in the UK, it's been determined that the court can only provide the relief that would be available in domestic insolvency proceedings and foreign judgments can't currently be enforced unless the parties in, in some sense submit to the foreign jurisdiction. Mm. Um, so there's perceived to be a gap in that model law with different jurisdictions interpreting the treatment of judgments in different ways. And that can lead to uncertainty of outcomes. So implementing Article X would make it specific that an insolvency-related judgment could be recognised. And that would, we recognise that would overturn some existing case law, like, for example, the, the relevant parts of the case of, of Rubin. Um, right. But as, as we said before, this isn't something we want to... We're not going to such a such a thing lightly without making sure that our stakeholders' concerns are mitigated. Right. And how about overturning Gibbs? Is the government's position that it still doesn't want to uh, to do that? I mean, just to you know, ask the big 
question. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 the big questions. Yeah, well, I mean, it gives us case law. So uh, government doesn't really have a, a position on it. Um, what, what we have said, is, as you mentioned, is we didn't uh, intend to overturn it with this particular legislation. I mean, it, Gibbs can create barriers for international cooperation and efficiency of proceedings. Um, but in the UK, in its 100-year existence, it's become interesting contract law and brings a lot of benefits in terms of legal certainty. Now, if legislation were to overturn it, there could be significant implications of that. Um, so Absolutely. we need to think about all these things in policy terms. And it's always a question of balance, isn't it? Um, you know, what, what are we going to do? But, but, what, what, but what we do need is a full discussion before you can make any further recommendations. And that, that's where we're thinking of going next. Now, I, I have one question that I just thought of as, as we were having this chat. Um, did, were there any responses that did advocate for over, overruling Gibbs or no? Everybody said yeah, just leave it. I mean, generally our stakeholders seem to be 50-50. I won't, I won't give anything away, but, uh, but yes, we, we, we have excellent answers on both sides of the fence. Oh, can you say that again, Simon? Yeah, we have, we have very good arguments for either not for keeping it or, or overturning it. Um, but, you know, very convincing arguments. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the response says uh, that the government will undertake further work to determine how legal certainty can be maintained and facilitate debate. So what can we expect with respect to, I don't know, further consultations? Um, what, what, what will help you gain legal certainty? Yeah, well, well, we'll certainly need to reach out to our stakeholders. Um, I mean, we're in in the, in the policy team. We've got you know broad, um, expansive knowledge, but we're not we're not legal people. Um, so we do need to rely on our stakeholders to to you know to tell us the facts. Um, there's no doubt the the key opinions that we're seeking will be from those people responding to the consultation. But let me say we're not looking aware. Um, and if we're having this wider discussion about Gibbs uh, in the consultation, we did say that we would look to a call for evidence to seek stakeholder views. Um, and from the discussion following the consultation, we know that it might be better to grasp the nettle and have that debate sooner rather than later. Um, but of course, I have to say again, this is always subject to the time is always subject to ministerial priorities. Um, in the meantime, your listeners might be interested in our research and technical conference, uh, which is taking place at the University of Liverpool on the 10th of November. And we've invited potential speakers to submit papers on various topics for the conference, including ruling Gibbs. Um, so that might be a, a topic for debate at that conference. And if uh, anybody wants to observe it, they can join online. That would be amazing. I think that's, um, we'll, we'll definitely need to um, put that out as a separate um, bulletin, but when you say they can submit papers, um, I assume as soon as possible, but um, have you, uh, do you have like a website that we can direct people to, to get further information on the um, yeah. conference? Yeah, if you are the actual right now, if anybody wants to look it up, they can Comments uh, the insolvency service and this will come up. Uh, Simon, there is you've a... just broken up, so if you could just repeat everything you said after um, after that uh, after the question. Okay, um, I don't actually have the website address on me at the moment, but if you just type in Google or a search engine of your choice, um, forward thinking conference insolvency service that should you know that it is on our website. 
Um, there is a deadline for submission of papers, which is about a month's time. Um, and there is a list of topics uh, that we have, you know, we say we're particularly interested in. And the ruling gives is one of those topics. Okay, so forward thinking conference yes. uh, by the insolvency service. You've heard it here first. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> submit your papers in the next month. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we do invite people to present their papers at the conference as well. So it's a, it is a speaking gig. Fantastic. Okay. So I, I, I'm hoping that this will um, drum up a lot of interest in uh, positions on Gibbs and, and otherwise the uh, model on, on um, recognition and enforcement of judgments. So um, in addition to the conference, are you planning on anything else? Is there, um, Will there be um, other ways to submit, or is it is it straight through this conference? No, I mean, as, as I said, that, that we are planning a call for evidence, so that will be open to anybody to submit responses. Oh, okay, great, and a call for evidence. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, f forgive me if I'm you know telling you stuff you already know, but um, slight call for evidence. It will just take a similar form to a consultation, but it. They generally speaking, they won't say, this is what we're proposing to do. What do you think? It tends to be, can you provide us information on what you think about the following things? Um, that tends to be the form of them. Whereas the consultation government tends to do such, what do you think? Okay, great. So um, the uh, there was, going back to the question of providing legal cer certainty, this was, a, this was a, a phrase that was used a few times in the response um to questions three and four um what was the concern there and and how how do we think it could be resolved is this just with further evidence or um one of the things i noted was that there there was a concern for the lack of um choice of law issues in insolvency and there being clarity on that as well. So do, do you need to see other um, uh, legal doctrines being put in place or is this just, you know, the legal certainty that comes with further consultation? Well, the, 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 the specific point we were talking about there was that we had proposed that Article X would be added to Regulation 2 of our cross-border insolvency regulations. Um, but the, 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 the comments we had in responses um, suggested that um, telling the court that it may consider certain documents, which is what Regulation 2 does, could mm. be insufficient to achieve the state's objective uh, of recognising foreign insolvency-related judgments. So um, the, we, we said that we would include it as a specific provision, you know, an, an explicit thing, you know, this, you must do this. Um, how that's done will be a, a matter for our legal team um, when it comes to draft legislation. But rather than telling the court it can consider something, um, we need to be able to say to the court, you know, you, you, you should consider this. And just for our listeners who are not familiar, the cross-border insolvency regulations is, is based on the model law uh, of... It um, is, the, the, the original, the original, yeah. the original yes. model law. Yeah, the original model law, that's right. It, um, the, the UK introduced it in 2006. And so um, the, the list that you're referring to, that courts can refer to, how, how would that list be generated? And 
would that list be open for consultation or input for, from practitioners? Well, the, 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 I think the, the response said that the intention was to update regulation two with the updated guide to enact the model law on cross-border insolvency, which is issued in uh, 2014 by Trail. Uh, and that guidance will include updates on interpretation of the insolvency and remain interests and other clarifications to the earlier guidance which they issued in 1999. But with regard to the actual list of documents that the consultation suggested could be added to regulation two, brackets two, that's kind of tied up with the uh, question of legal certainty. So we're, we're going to have to defer that kind of um, uh, decision until the dust has settled on, on that particular question. But it, but it would be part of the discussion on, on legal certainty when we go out to our stakeholders. Right, so um, these are all of the questions that I had, but Simon, is there anything else that we should be looking out for in the government's um, implementation process or any ways that we as practitioners can, can assist or participate in, in the ongoing discussions you plan to have in addition to your conference and call for evidence that we've already mentioned? Well, no, I don't, you know, I'd, I'd like to say yes to also look over this, but no, I mean, those those two things uh, are open to pretty much anybody to respond to. So um, it, it's completely inclusive. If there's anybody that has an interest in this this um, this, this type of insolvency law, they're, they're free to contribute to the call for evidence. Um, and of course, we, you know, all responses are looked at and considered very closely. Um, and also, of course, the, the, the conference, which uh, you, you can join online um, and listen to any debates that come up. Well, Simon, thank you so much for your time. This has been absolutely fascinating and I'm really excited to participate in the upcoming conference and, um, and, and read all the calls, the um, responses and the calls for evidence. Um, thank you so much for, for being um, open to discussing this with us and for participating in the III Next Gen podcast. We really appreciate your time. No, it's, it's a privilege. Thank you very much. And thank you for your interest. Thank you for listening to this episode of Global Perspectives. This podcast has been brought to you by the International Insolvency Institute. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play.